It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The WWE has been a massive cultural phenomenon since the 1990s, displaying larger than life characters, ginormous pay-per-view events, and being a circus of entertainment, wrestling, and backstage controversy. They have pioneered the use of pay-per-view television, developed their own football league, and taken over the world of professional wrestling. However, while the brand has continued to grow, the WWE has also faced multiple scandals spanning from steroid use, sexual assault and harassment, and lack of care for their performers. Where have these scandals come from and how have they survived them? Professional wrestling from the National Arena in the nation's capital, Washington, DC, and some exciting matches. Here's how we get underway. Savoli trying to get a bear hug on there, but Arnie takes care of that for Pugliese. There's quite the development in the rainbow. Roddy Piper was to... Oh, oh. Arnie's oh. getting rough, folks. Warner's got the oh. champion in the corner. He's going after it, Dutch. He's going after it. Who has ever seen a finer specimen of fighting manhood, a greater wrestling machine than this man The superstar, the man of the hour, the man with the power, the man that's too sweet to be sour. Let's talk to you. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're gonna be discussing the WWE. This episode contains mentions of suicide, murder, drug abuse, and sexual assault. So if these topics are difficult for you to hear right now, feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you in the next one. There is so much to cover with the WWE that we couldn't actually cover it all in one episode. So this is just a drop in the bucket about their history, scandals, and various lawsuits. My team and I plan on doing another part on the WWE. So if we missed anything, please feel free to let us know in comment sections, Twitter, Instagram, wherever, so that we can include it in future episodes too. It was so overwhelming, the amount of information and just the mountains and mountains and mountains of just bullshit that goes on inside this company and this organization and everything that I know things are gonna be missed. So I'm just gonna be straight up. I am trying to keep this as streamlined as possible. I know I'm not gonna get into every single nuanced detail to the point that I know multiple points are gonna have to be made. So please use this as the teaser, the warm up to the absolute hellhole that is the WWE. And again, if there's something specific that you wanna see covered, please, we are looking to see you know, what else we may have missed, what else we need to include and how to organize future episodes involving this topic as well. So with that being said, let's get started. The WWE has a history spanning back to the 1950s and has been run by four generations of the McMahon family. The Capital Wrestling Corporation or the CWC was first established on January 7th, 1953. There have been some discrepancies in who originally founded the CWC, but it was either Jesse McMahon or Vincent McMahon Sr., Jess's son. Jess McMahon had been a wrestler and was a boxing promoter. He promoted boxing matches at Madison Square Garden before switching to being a wrestling promoter and leading a wrestling empire, promoting fights in Philadelphia and New York. The CWA joined the National Wrestling Alliance and WA in 1953, which is a national wrestling promotion organization and governing body of wrestling promotion. After Jess McMahon's death in 1954, Vincent McMahon Sr. swiftly picked up where his father left off and became one of the biggest wrestling promoters in the country. 
He and his associate Tootsmont quickly controlled over 70% of NWA's bookings. In 1963, McMahon and Mont found themselves in a heated dispute with the NWA. While Buddy Rogers, known as Nature Boy, was the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, McMahon and Mont were acting not only as the promoters for his title defense match, but as his managers. Theoretically, he should have been defending his championship title in all NWA member promotion willing to pay the champion standard percentage of the gate to book him. Instead, Rogers continued working with McMahon and Mont as his promoters. This led to the NWA being unable to book him for his championship fight. Because of this, the NWA board of directors voted to strip his title and give it to another wrestler. This led to McMahon withdrawing from the NWA and the WWWF Worldwide Wrestling Foundation was born. They later renamed the WWWF to World Wrestling Federation in 1979. Vince McMahon Jr. worked for his father as a wrestling commentator on cable TV for years before buying out his father's stock in the WWF in 1982. Vince McMahon quickly started to grow the WWF by going after television spots in enemy territories to promote the WWF and their matches to a widespread audience. To place his shows on local stations in so-called enemy territory, he would often pay stations to show their events, sometimes paying as much as $100,000. His plan worked and the WWF quickly exploded in popularity. In 1990 alone, the WWF put on 663 live events spread over 191 different cities, ranging from Yuma, Arizona, to Lake Charles, Louisiana, to Duluth, Minnesota. They also began to pioneer the pay-per-view strategy with the invention of their quarterly championships and widespread events, such as WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, Summer Slams, and Survivor Series. WrestleMania, get your tickets for the greatest quarter of all time. Mr. T risks it all, wrestling for the first time, teaming up with champions. What set the WWF aside from other wrestling associations was their focus on the entertainment aspect of wrestling rather than the sport. Vince McMahon was quoted as saying, the difference between dad's and granddad's day and my day is pure presentation. There was too much emphasis on the sports element and not enough on entertainment in the old days. Now we call it sports entertainment. We don't want to de-emphasize the athleticism of wrestling. These are great athletes with great charisma, but in the WWF, entertainment is the key. The WWF doubled down on this sentiment when they declared in February, 1989, that professional wrestling was not a sport. The announcement came as the New Jersey Senate was prepping to vote on a bill that would remove wrestling from the jurisdiction of the State Athletic Commission. The WWF released a statement that professional wrestling should be defined as an activity in which participants struggle hand in hand primarily for the purpose of providing entertainment to spectators rather than conducting a bona fide athletic contest. By calling professional wrestling entertainment, not just the WWF, the company was effectively outing every wrestling organization as not being a sport, diluting their brand and pushing fans to, of course, themselves. While the definition certainly fit the entertainment-focused WWF, old-fashioned wrestlers, promoters, and fans were not thrilled by the announcement. A member of the Cauliflower Alley Club, a wrestling organization that had 1,400 members at the time said, A lot of our people don't like what Vince McMahon has done. They think he went against the code. They think he destroyed the mystique. Sure, these guys all admit in private that it's show business, but they have remained loyal to the credo that you never admit that openly. They feel you lose all the gladiator armor when you call it entertainment only. A former women's champion, Maria Bernardi, responded to the announcement by saying, I never considered it anything but a sport. To call it entertainment alone is to take away the pride we once had in being wrestlers. Many people told McMahon that the decision to announce that professional wrestling was entertainment rather than sport would destroy the organization. 
However, the WWF's media director, Steve Planamenta said, we did better business for the rest of that year than we ever did before. The announcement that WWF was promoting entertainment rather than a sport seemed to make wrestling more accessible to a variety of audiences. Vince designed wrestling events as entertainment and incorporated wild and chaotic storylines, rock music, and huge stars. The WWF brought fans out of the closet from every age and economic group teens, children under 10, film stars, attorneys, bankers, and blue collar people. By 1991, the WWF became a worldwide name and was selling lunchboxes, kids' toys, its own magazine, and video games. Continuing with their entertainment-focused definition of sports, the WWF announced in February 2000 that they would be starting a professional football league. Vince McMahon said they were starting the XFL because the appetite for professional football continues long post the Super Bowl. The XFL is more than just an extension of the football season. It is a completely new product that not only fills a void for football fans, but will give the casual fan an all access pass to a football experience unlike any other to date. The XFL debuted in 2001, promising an entirely new brand of football that included faster, more violent tackles, creative new rules, and brash attitude and scantily clad cheerleaders. The XFL was definitely a new type of football. Instead of having a coin toss to decide which team got the ball, two players would sprint to a ball in the middle of the field to decide the possession. And during halftime, the cameras would follow the cheerleaders into their locker room. The XFL also pioneered the use of sky cams, showing the entire field and the huddles, which the NFL now uses. The XFL only lasted one year and had multiple technical and other difficulties throughout one season, including going overtime in one of the games, causing NBC to miss out on showing the beginning of Saturday Night Live. One of the biggest games of the season was also interrupted when they lost their feed. In the end, they couldn't live up to their promise that they would be a faster paced and more exciting version of football. The XFL made a return in 2020, but unfortunately did not last long. Only five weeks into the season, the league was forced to stop games due to the COVID-19 pandemic and filed bankruptcy only a month later. Dwayne The Rock Johnson bought the XFL from bankruptcy court for $15 million in 2020 with his ex-wife and business partner, Danny Garcia and Redbird Capital, an investment group. The XFL is currently not scheduled to begin until later in 2022. So we're going to see if Mr. Dwayne The Rock Johnson can finally make it a success story. One year later in 2002, the WWF changed its name to World Wrestling Entertainment or WWE. McMahon's recollection of events that led to the name change seems to vary widely from the actual truth of what happened. The company claimed in a documentary released by WWE in 2020 that the name was changed for rebranding purposes and was entirely their own decision. In the documentary, the telling of the story and the name change, the narrator, Michael Rappaport, exclaims the get the F out, get the F out was a way to keep some of the old attitude. And it was also an opportunity to begin the process of moving in a new direction. And with no F, WWE was born. Of course, like I mentioned, this was not what actually happened. Instead, the WWE was actually forced to change their own name after losing a lawsuit to the World Wildlife Fund. The World Wildlife Fund had registered and trademarked their initials of WWF back in 1961. In 1994, the two companies had reached a settlement that the World Wrestling Federation would only use the initials WWF for business activities, meaning they couldn't use the WWF initials for promotional or commercial purposes. 
And clearly they did not follow the terms of the settlement as they continued to sell lunchboxes, action figures, and video games with the WWF initials very proudly displayed. During the lawsuit in 2002, the wrestling organization argued that there was no evidence of confusion in the public mind between the two organizations and that to enforce the 1994 agreement strictly was an unreasonable restraint of trade. However, the justice overseeing the case disagreed and said the cost of rebranding now after some five years of development are entirely attributable to its own decisions to take that risk. So after losing the lawsuit, the WWF changed its name to WWE. Like the justice mentioned, rebranding cost a lot of money. So while the WWF was trying to build a wrestling empire, they made the decision to go against a previous settlement and continue using the initials. And that cost them money in the process. So essentially they shot themselves in the foot. Even so, the name change did not seem to slow the WWE down and their stars such as Hulk Hogan only became bigger celebrities and they became a massive aspect of the culture. The WWE has expanded to reach to over 180 countries and broadcast in over 28 languages. However, their success also came with scandal and the WWE has had many of them throughout the years. The WWE has been in the news and in the courtroom multiple times for reasons spanning from sexual assault allegations, steroids, and their minimal consideration of the performer's health. So now that you know a pretty good baseline, and I know for some super fans out there, this is not gonna be the most inclusive timeline. It's the best I could do in about 10 minutes to try and summarize as best as I could. That's kind of like the light fluffy history of the WWE. Now we're going to continue on into the scandals, lawsuits, and accusations. So I'm gonna put the sponsor here. This is your heads up. If you continue listening after the sponsor, there are gonna be some graphic mentions of some of the things we just mentioned. So continue at your own risk. It's about to get dark, disturbing, and pretty ugly. So here's the sponsor and then into the dirty stuff we go. Today's episode is sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. Now, I love that I can get basically everything online, but it's hard for me to keep track of promo codes, even when I've sacrificed my emails to the savings gods. But now I have Honey to help find them for me because Honey is the free shopping tool that searches the internet for promo codes and applies the best ones to your cart. Now, recently I was looking for some new oils for the candle company to try and make some new scents for like a spring summer collection. I've got some ideas. So I wanted to like test some scents out to see like how they mix and everything. So I'm not gonna give too much away, but even this company used honey and I saved like 10% on the candle oils. And I was like, hell yeah, are you kidding me? That's great. So it works with literally any industry. If you're shopping for clothing, for supplies, furniture, like you name it, it essentially is there for everything. And now Honey doesn't just work on your desktop, but it works on your iPhone too. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. So if you don't already have Honey, you could just be straight up missing out. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting the show. So make sure you get Honey for free at joinhoney.com casket. Again, that's joinhoney.com casket. It's January, so tis the season of changing habits. Doesn't matter if you're just saving money by eating takeout less, learning how to cook, never meal planning again, whatever is on your mind, HelloFresh is here to help. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients right to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week, so you get convenience and quality. HelloFresh cuts back on time in the kitchen with meals ready in about 30 minutes or less, so you can spend it on working on your other New Year's resolutions. Plus they also have their quick and easy meals, which I said multiple times over, I cannot get over those. I love just the easy to go little sandwiches and little flatbread pizzas you can make so fast. I'm in love with those, but they also have like those, they've got 20 minute recipes, they have a low prep and easy cleanup options too, which is just incredible. And if you don't wanna forget dessert either, because HelloFresh can satisfy your sweet tooth with seasonal limited time goodies like Dunkaroos cookie dough or vanilla delight cheesecake, which, you know, 
I'm just kind of hungry thinking about that now. And Dunkaroos, I haven't had those in years. So I'm very curious and I need to get my hands on those just to see what the business is. So if you wanna get started with HelloFresh this year, make sure you go to hellofresh.com slash casket16 and use code casket16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's up to 16 free meals and three free gifts at hellofresh.com slash casket16. Use code casket16. Three years, he says he was sexually abused by his supervisor, Mel Phillips, who Cole says has a foot fetish. And Cole says there were and, other uh, abusers. Terry Garvin propositioned me when I was 16, offered me cocaine and all kinds of drugs to uh, have sex with him. When I refused, I was let go from the company when I was 16. And then I returned again when I was 19. I was let go again because I refused Terry Garvin's advice. In 1992, Tom Cole, who was 21 at the time, sued the WWE and three men working for the organization. Tom Cole had worked for the WWE as a ring boy. His job consisted of setting up the rings and running errands for 30 to $150 a night. In his lawsuit, Cole alleged that between the ages of 13 and 16, Mel Phillips, an announcer at the time, would frequently caress his feet and rub them against his own general area. Cole also alleged that Pat Patterson, a wrestler who was retired at the time of the allegations and working with McMahon behind the scenes, would regularly grab plaintiff's genitals or buttocks. Additionally, Cole alleged that Terry Garvin, a Canadian professional wrestler, made multiple sexual advances towards him at ages 16 and 19. And he also accuses the WWE of firing him after turning Garvin down a second time. Another man who had worked as a ring boy accused Mel Phillips of rubbing his feet against Phillips's crotch and Phillips pulling the boy's toes apart until he screamed. When Cole's allegations first surfaced, a retired wrestler, Barry Orton, came forward and accused Garvin and Patterson for harassing him before he had joined the WWE while on a road trip. Orton confronted McMahon, who claimed he knew nothing about the various incidents on the Phil Donahue show, saying, "'You're saying that you knew nothing of it, "'and I just find that really difficult to believe. "'You are the king of an empire, "'and you have eyes and ears everywhere. "'And it is so common, "'at least the topic of conversation "'for three to five minutes every night in the dressing room, "'because a lot of the guys, they have to put up with it, and they hate it because if they say anything, they're out of a job. In response to the lawsuit on an appearance on Larry King Live in 1992, Vince McMahon said, "'To me, this is the most reprehensible type of behavior in any organization. "'Yes, we are certainly large enough now "'whereby this might have occurred, "'and if, in fact, it did occur, "'the individuals responsible would have been fired on the spot. "'We're doing everything we can "'to internally investigate the situation.'" Phillips was eventually let go from the WWE in 1992, and both Patterson and Garvin resigned. However, during the same Larry King Live episode in 1992, Vince McMahon insinuated that the claims against Patterson were homophobic and the allegations that were being made was because he was an openly gay wrestling executive. Cole eventually settled with the WWE for $55,000 and the WWE denied any liability in the matter. And now a former ringside assistant is charging that wrestling executives solicited sex from wrestlers and other employees in exchange for jobs. Anyone can always come to me. They've always been able to come to me and tell me if anything is out of line. So if anything is out of line. Any of your wrestlers could have come to you and said, there's a guy in the office coming on with me. Absolutely. Notwithstanding the fact that I would not have wanted to have been that guy because any of my wrestlers would have broken his neck. I mean, this lawsuit came back into the public eye in 2016 when Linda McMahon, Vince's business partner and wife, was chosen as Donald Trump's pick to run the Small Business Administration. Former wrestlers such as Tom Hankins said she was a poor choice for the position due to the WWE's history of crushing smaller competitors and the history of allegations of sexual harassments in the WWE. She eventually did get that position and the case didn't seem to make too much of a difference in her political career. Even though the Cole case was settled, it had led to a grand jury being developed for a federal investigation into the matter. 
A short excerpt from the Miami Herald at the time said the investigation was focused on allegations of sexual abuse of minors and the illegal transportation of minors across state lines. The investigation didn't seem to last long and swiftly switched from an investigation into the sexual abuse of minors in the WWE to steroids in the WWE. Unredacted FBI memos came to light in 2021 that showed that the FBI were seeking to use Phillips in their investigation against McMahon in his upcoming steroid trials, possibly leading them to ignore evidence against him. A videotape of Phillips seemed to have been dismissed by the investigators. A memo from the FBI in 1993 reads, A review of the redacted tape by NYO shows Phillips lying with redacted foot in the crotch area for extended period of time. All victims have stated that Phillip plays with their feet for extended periods of time between a half hour to two hours in duration. New York has subpoenaed Phillips to a grand jury, but was told by prosecutors he will take the Fifth Amendment. New York would like to indict Phillips on sexual abuse charges if video is consistent with BSU sexual abuse guidelines. In essence, the FBI had access to a video showing Phillips's alleged abuse and was waiting to see if charges would be brought against him based on the behavioral sciences guidelines of the FBI to do anything about it. Despite having access to that video, which seemed to show an incident similar to what Phillips had been accused of and Phillips appearing before a grand jury multiple times, he was never actually indicted and never convicted in any of the crimes. Instead, only one year after the Federal Bureau opened the investigation of the sexual abuse allegations in the WWE, Vince McMahon was indicted. Vince McMahon was indicted by the United States Department of Justice in 1993 on charges related to anabolic steroids. The indictment came shortly after Dr. George Zahorian, a ringside doctor for the WWE, had been convicted of illegally providing steroids to the WWE, their wrestlers, and Vince McMahon himself. McMahon faced an 18-day trial in 1994 for allegedly supplying WWE wrestlers with steroids. During the trial, multiple famous wrestlers, including Hulk Hogan, Nails, Ultimate Warrior, Rick Rude, Big John Stuff, and Moondog Rex testified in front of a jury. Hulk Hogan did admit that he did use steroids, and he even admitted that he picked up the steroids from the WWE headquarters. But he also testified that McMahon never told him directly to use steroids. Of all the wrestlers that testified, Nails was the only one that implicated McMahon directly in his steroid usage. Nails, whose real name is Kevin Patrick Wackles, testified that he and McMahon had a conversation in January, 1992, where McMahon told Nails that at 300 pounds, he was still not big enough to portray the Nails character. Nails responded that he had been working out, but he didn't take steroids, to which McMahon allegedly responded by saying, you should be. Nails also testified that McMahon had told him, I strongly suggest you go on the gas. Gas is a slang term for steroids. Dr. Zahorian also testified that Vince McMahon's office would call him directly and ask if I, Dr. Zahorian, would send up anabolic steroids to Mr. McMahon's office. Again, he never directly said those steroids were going to the wrestlers and Vince McMahon's attorney argued that steroids were for his personal use and not for the wrestlers under his employment. In the end, the jury found that he was not guilty and Vince McMahon avoided a possible 11 year prison sentence despite the defense never even calling their own witnesses for McMahon. And to me, in my opinion, this seems like a failure of the prosecution. But at the same time, they could never find anyone but Nails to testify that McMahon had forced or very strongly recommended that performers get on steroids. Even though wrestlers were picking up steroids from the fucking headquarters, apparently that was not enough to prove that McMahon was actually involved in supplying them to the performers. I find that aspect very fascinating because it seems like a pretty obvious flow of events, but apparently it's not. Just a few years later, the WWE found themselves in yet another legal battle and in the news once again. In June, 1999, Sable, Rena Lesnar, sued the WWE for $110 million. 
In her lawsuit, she accused the company of pressuring her to participate in a lesbian storyline, expose her breasts on TV, and appear in sexually degrading photos. She said that she had told the WWE that her storylines were making her uncomfortable, and the lawsuit states that the WWE had been increasingly obscene, titillating, vulgar, and unsafe. Sable said that the WWE had scripted her losing her title after she had repeatedly refused to participate in a storyline that included her having her costume torn off in a match and exposing her breasts. The lawyer for the company said her allegations were untrue and said it's the legal equivalent of a rabbit punch. The lawyer was referring to an extremely dangerous move that was banned from boxing, wrestling, and MMA when he brought up what a rabbit punch was. A rabbit punch is a blow that lands on the back of the head or top of the head or top of the neck. A single rabbit punch can cause serious spinal cord and brain injury that can be fatal in some cases. So he might've been insinuating that her lawsuit was a dirty move that could have killed the company if found true. But I'm unsure if that's exactly what he meant. The lawsuit was later settled for an undisclosed amount and Sable returned to wrestling for a few years before retiring. Wrestling world in shock today. Former champion Chris Benoit found dead in his apparent devil murder suicide at pro wrestler Chris Benoit's Georgia home. Cops saying in a press conference just a couple of hours ago that they found the wrestler hanging by a pulley. In 2007, the WWE faced a massive tragedy when world-famous wrestler Chris Benoit, otherwise known as the Canadian Crippler or the Rabid Wolverine, killed his wife, seven-year-old son, and himself in their home in Fayetteville, Georgia. The horrific incident shocked the wrestling community as many explained that though Benoit was considered brutal in the ring, outside of it, he was often joking and a caring person. Christopher Nowinski, a former professional wrestler who had become friends with Benoit, also said, part of me hopes there was something wrong with his brain. The Chris Benoit I knew was always more concerned about everybody else's well-being than his own. When police originally came to the gruesome scene, they found steroids in the apartment. This led many people within the wrestling community to speculate that Benoit had gone into what they called roid rage. Empty bottles of alcohol within the house led authorities to speculate that the murder-suicide was prompted by alcohol. When the toxicology report came back, medical examiners had found 10 times the normal level of testosterone, as well as mounts of the anti-anxiety drug Xanax and the painkiller hydrocodone. However, the toxicology report also found that alcohol was not present in his system. The announcement that Benoit had injected steroids into his systems prompted Congress, who had recently investigated steroid usage in the MLB to inquire about the WWE's drug testing policies. Representative Cliff Stearns from Florida wrote to the WWE saying, illegal steroid use in professional sports has gained plenty of attention, but the record suggests that the problem is most pervasive and deadly in pro wrestling, an unregulated form of entertainment that is watched on TV and in the arena by an estimated 20 million fans a week. Although the report found that Benoit had injected steroids into his system, WWE released a statement that they were unaware he had been using steroids. He had been tested in April and did not test positive. Vince McMahon even went to Congress in December 2007 to testify about steroid abuse in pro wrestling. McMahon didn't seem all too interested in answering questions from Congress members, often responding, I don't know, when asked if he believed steroids were dangerous. Congress even brought up his own trial in 1994, asking if he had used steroids at that time. McMahon's lawyer quickly spoke up saying, I'm not going to allow you to harass this man. And you came in here today professing you have an open mind and you're telling me that you didn't have this in mind when you wrote this list, bullshit. In the end, the WWE did not face any legal ramifications on the accusations that they had been aware of Benoit's steroid usage. There's also little proof that steroids could contribute to his actions and no scientific evidence that roid rage exists or results in this extent of violent behavior. 
In the months following, Benoit's brain was released to scientists to conduct an analysis to determine if he had been suffering from CTE. CTE had made headlines when the Sports Legacy Institute found that four NFL players who had committed suicide had suffered from the condition. According to the Institute, the players' brains were badly damaged, resulting in a dementia that looks similar to Alzheimer's. Doctors speculate that the dementia associated with CTE may cause suicidal tendencies and possibly even homicide. Benoit's father, Michael, who had been devastated and confused by the events that transpired, called Christopher Nowinski a member of the Sports Legacy Institute, hoping to find answers. Nowinski immediately suggested that Benoit's brain be studied, saying, I think there was something worth investigating, that I thought brain injuries may have played a role in what happened. Doctors who examined Benoit's brain discovered that he had been suffering from CTE and concluded that the damage to his brain was due to multiple traumatic injuries. Although it can't be concluded that his violent behavior could be completely attributed to CTE, his dad, Michael, says that Benoit's multiple concussions from being hit by chairs, tables, and ladders contributed to his brain injury and ultimately his death. The WWE responded to the news by saying that the analysis that brain damage led to Benoit's murder-suicide was speculative and that WWE can certainly understand the anguish of a father having to deal with the fact that his son allegedly murdered his wife and young son. We respect the desire of that father to do whatever he can to find some explanation. However, the WWE did not take any responsibility for the brain injuries Benoit suffered due to wrestling. While this may be the first and most extreme case of a wrestler from the WWE being discovered to have CTE, brain injuries have become a consistent problem for wrestlers in the WWE, and multiple wrestlers have sued the company over the years. In July of 2016, 53 wrestlers joined a class action lawsuit against the WWE and Vince McMahon. Snuka, who was 73 at the time, was represented by his wife. In June, before the class action lawsuit, he was found mentally incompetent to stand trial in a case from 33 years prior for murder and manslaughter charges in the death of his ex-girlfriend. His attorneys argued that he had suffered from dementia after he had gotten his bell rung a few times while wrestling. The class action lawsuit accused the WWE of negligence and many wrestlers claimed that the WWE had not supported or cared for their employees and placed profit over their safety. While CTE lawsuits had previously been dismissed in the NHL and NFL due to combat sports exception, the WWE differed in one key way. Because remember, WWE claimed that this was not a sport, it was just entertainment. The lawsuit stated that WWE wrestling matches, unlike other contact sports, involve very specific moves that are scripted, controlled, directed, and choreographed by the WWE. As such, the moves that resulted in named plaintiff's head injuries were the direct result of the WWE's actions. Since the WWE choreographed all its moves, unlike the NFL or the NHL, prosecutors believed they should be held accountable for choreographing dangerous moves that consistently led to concussions and head trauma, even when performed correctly. Another wrestler, Ashley Massaro, who later died at age 37, participated in the lawsuit and said in her affidavit that she wasn't properly trained in the ring and didn't receive proper medical care for injuries. She also blamed her wrestling injuries for her depression. Although Ashley's cause of death has never officially been released by the medical examiner who said releasing the information would constitute an unwarranted invasion of personal privacy, multiple sources have stated that she committed suicide. The prosecution lawyer in the lawsuit also released records showing six other wrestlers who had suffered from CTE. The brains of WWE wrestlers who were later discovered to have been suffering from CTE resembled those of Alzheimer's patients more than twice their age. The WWE responded to the lawsuit with a statement saying, this is another ridiculous attempt by the same attorney who has previously filed class action lawsuits against WWE, both of which have been dismissed. A federal judge has already found that his lawyer made patently false allegations about WWE, and this is more of the same. This lawsuit was later dismissed in 2018 and lost in appeals court as well. 
While the WWE claimed that lawsuits by former wrestlers had come from the lawyer attempting to attack the organization, they have made vast improvements and changes to their entertainment industry to try and prevent and treat brain injuries since 2008. The WWE now has mandatory testing for all of their wrestlers and they undergo annual mandatory baseline retesting of brain function, including memory, processing speed, and reaction time. A pro wrestler, Daniel Bryan, who was a rising star in the world of professional wrestling, was unable to be cleared through the WWE's concussion protocol and was forced to retire in 2016. In his retirement speech, Bryan said, I have been wrestling since I was 18 years old. Within the first five months of my wrestling career, I already had three concussions. Three concussions in five months certainly raises red flags about what precautions are being taken in professional wrestling and if they are enough to prevent their performers from developing brain damage and CTE. CTE doesn't develop just from repeated concussions, so the increase in concussion protocol may not be enough to prevent severe brain damage for professional wrestlers. Brain damage doesn't only occur when people receive concussions. Rather, every time there is a blow to someone's head, it shakes the brain, and that shaking builds up an abnormal protein, causing brain damage. Nowinski states that concussion protocol does not cover that because subconcussion doesn't show signs. That's where education comes in. That's where impact performance control comes in. Impacts to the head should be minimized, but unfortunately, CTE can only be discovered after someone has died. So it's hard to establish rules and regulations to address it. However, Nowinski and other former wrestlers have developed training and education programs for wrestlers in the WWE to teach them about brain injuries and possible ways to prevent them or to take care of themselves. Multiple wrestlers have pledged to donate their brains to science in hopes to further the understanding of CTE and hopefully find a cure in the future. The WWE found themselves in a massive scandal again in 2020 as a Twitter hashtag went viral. Hashtag speaking out came out into the spotlight on Twitter on June 2020 after an ex-girlfriend of wrestler David Starr accused him of sexually assaulting and abusing her. He responded to the allegations by denying them, though what he did say was an awful partner before going on to say, no matter what I say, I'm the bad guy, no pity party, it is what it is. David Starr swiftly lost independent promotions and was stripped of his championships. He later deactivated all his social media accounts. Multiple WWE wrestlers were accused of sexual assault and domestic violence on Twitter using that hashtag. Jordan Devlin was accused of physical abuse and the woman shared photos of bruises on her body allegedly from him. Jordan Devlin responded to the allegations by saying, I didn't even want to address the hurtful allegation made against me, but for the sake of my followers and friends on this platform that may for whatever reason be unsure, I'm going to address this once. The recent allegation made against me is completely and utterly false and I deny it entirely. This is a case of a malicious personal agenda being executed against me on the back of a very brave telling of a true experience by other women. I completely denounce it. This is all I will say on the matter and I am working with a legal team to help decide how to proceed from here. Another woman, Candy Cartwright, accused a WWE wrestler, Matt Riddle, of sexually assaulting her. Candy posted on Twitter saying, I didn't realize that what he did to me was not okay. I realize now reading these other brave women's stories that I can't be afraid anymore and I have to hashtag speak out. And that was before she recalled the story of Matt Riddle pressuring her to have sex with him, including him allegedly choking her and saying, what if I just made you? Matt Riddle responded and said the allegations against him were untrue and even accused Cartwright of harassment. I'm gonna make this quick. I have never in my entire life sexually assaulted anybody. And that includes Samantha Tavel, Candy Cartwright. Now you have literally started harassing me, showing up to hotels, harassing my friends. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? 
At this point, you have to realize if you don't think you're stalking me or harassing me, you're crazy. And if you are at home and you don't think that's harassment. He also said that his lawyer and the WWE were exploring the possibility of legal action against Cartwright. The WWE responded to both of these allegations with the typical PR nuance statement of, we take any allegation of this nature very seriously and are looking into the matter. Jim Cornette and his wife were also accused of sexual misconduct by multiple wrestlers. According to his profile on the WWE website, Jim Cornette became an announcer with the WWE in 1997 and became famous for his monologues during matches and his catchphrase, I'm Jim Cornette and that's my opinion. Jim Cornette had retired from announcing with the WWE in 1999, but he established Ohio Valley Wrestling, which was a WWE developmental territory. The OVW and Cornette were responsible for developing the careers of some of the WWE's most famous wrestlers, including Batista, Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, and John Cena. Allegations state that Cornette pressured rookie wrestlers into performing sexual acts with his wife in exchange for wrestling opportunities. His wife, Stacy was also accused of grooming multiple new wrestlers who were as young as 14 years old by sending them unsolicited NSFW photos and pressuring them into sexual acts. An independent wrestler, Phil Early, tweeted that a close friend of his was groomed and basically brainwashed by them for years. When he finally escaped, Stacy went to great lengths to not only terrorize him, but to actively try and have other wrestlers physically assault him. He released screenshots of text messages to support his claims. And following the Twitter feed in a bizarre string of Facebook comments, Stacy Cornette accused him of being a liar and said, I don't even know you. A female pro wrestler, Natalie Skies, and multiple other women accused an NXT UK star, Lee Garrow, of sexual harassment. Another woman, Violet O'Hara, alleged that he assaulted her after she let him and some friends stay in her hotel room since he was locked out of where he was supposed to stay. O'Hara said she let him sleep in her bed after he told her he couldn't sleep on the floor because of issues with his knee. She had told him to sleep on the opposite side of the bed, but accuses him of indecently assaulting her that night. He responded to the allegations by O'Hara by releasing a lengthy statement saying, the current story that has been released by Violet O'Hara, Claire, Michelle Oldfield is neither accurate nor true. This is a completely false allegation. And whilst I've done other things in my life that I deeply regret, this isn't an accurate or truthful portrayal of the events. This is something I strongly deny and is something I've been in process of speaking to a legal team about. He continued on in his statement to apologize to Sky and the other wrestlers that had accused him of misconduct saying, I have no excuse, it's inappropriate, it's an embarrassment and it's an absolutely shameful way to act from someone in a position of trust. I sincerely apologize for my actions and any hurt I've caused. I have no justification of my actions in the slightest. In these situations, I have failed people as a friend, as a fiance and as a decent human being. So in the same statement, he both denounced one allegation against him as being untrue while simultaneously admitting to other allegations that he acted inappropriately with female wrestlers and apologizing to them. Again, this is my opinion and maybe that, you know, that is exactly what happened. Maybe that is the reality, but it just seems it's unsettling. It feels incomplete. I obviously don't know the truth, so I'm only speculating and speculations are worth not much. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. It just seems weird to me that you would be like, oh yeah, I have no excuse for what I did for like, you know, doing that. But this other thing, which is literally in the same category of like sexual harassment and assault or whatever, but I didn't, I didn't go that far, but I've already kind of done it, but like light, I don't know. It's just my opinion, but it just seems weird to me. That's all I'm saying. The multiple allegations of WWE stars on Twitter led to multiple people being released from the company. Jack Gallagher, Travis Banks, and El Ligaro were released following the accusations of sexual assault or misconduct. David Lagana resigned from the NWA's National Wrestling Alliance after allegations of sexual misconduct. Jim Cornette has also left the WWE and developed his own podcast, though he never admitted any wrongdoing. 
Matt Riddle and Jordan Devlin were suspended while the investigations against them are pending. Following the ever rising amount of allegations against stars in the WWE, the company released a statement saying, individuals are responsible for their own personal actions. They went on to quote the corporate policy that says WWE has zero tolerance for matters involving domestic abuse, child abuse, and sexual assault. Upon arrest for such misconduct, a WWE talent will be immediately suspended. Upon conviction for such misconduct, a WWE talent will be immediately terminated. While zero tolerance policies seem good on paper, it doesn't address the key question in this issue. We only mentioned a few of the very, very, very many women and men who came out during the hashtag speaking out movement. The main question here is how did this happen and how can they prevent it from happening in the future? Clearly there seems to be a culture of issue within the WWE that allows mass instances of harassment and abuse that has yet to be addressed by the company. While the WWE is certainly full of entertainment and their bigger than life characters are fun to watch for people of all ages, they haven't been strangers to scandal. This episode only covers a few of the numerous scandals the WWE has faced throughout the years. We plan on doing another episode about this and covering the WWE even more in depth. So like we mentioned in the beginning, please feel free to leave comments or suggestions about things that may have been missed or topics you would like to see discussed further in the future. But with all of that being said, that's where I'm gonna end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new today. If you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to be here with me and listen to this new episode. Thank you so much, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.